We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed the chicago fire unveiled their rebrand which features a new oval badge a minimalistic red gold mirrored fire crown and of course the now seemingly mandatory addition of fc to the club name i was underwhelmed by this new logo yes you want a child to be able to draw it but you don't want it to look like a child drew it Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the Chicago Fire rebrand in our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to be talking about the return of Mourinho. Uh, in our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about Pochettino's future. And in our Back Three segment, we'll be talking about Copa Lib and Thanksgiving and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday morning? I'm good. It's good to have you in L.A. this week. I know uh, in your eternal travels, you were in Miami last week. I was in Miami, yes. I was in Miami at Soccer X. I got a chance to see a lot of different soccer people. And, uh, you know, anytime we have one of those soccer conferences and and these are also uh, where they have the cubicles and everything like that so you see everything from people that are running clubs to people that are putting out new ways to build goalposts and stuff like that it's the gamut out there so it was fun and i got i had a good talk with uh, uh commissioner garber uh, interesting back and forth with him not a whole lot of news that came out of it uh, he, he confirmed that they're going to go into the the 30s, and then, as usual, say that's where we're going to stop. But we all know <laughs> that's been that's been said before. And you know the uh, upcoming CBA talks with uh, MLS and how important they are going to be. The other thing that I did when I got back from Miami, Mossy, and you as a uh, avid television viewer will appreciate this, or maybe you won't. Uh, as you know, I don't watch any type of series until it's completely done, and then I can binge it. All right. So the other day, I started a classic. For, for many people, a classic. I am on the third episode of the first season of something called The Sopranos. Have you heard of this show? Wow. Yes, yes. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it, yes. So it's, it's hard sometimes when I do this because uh, there's so much. I'm not going to watch something that no, nobody's ever talked about. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm susceptible to people telling me this is good and stuff like that. And obviously, when it comes to The Sopranos, everybody watches The Sopranos, and it was this, this mega show. So far, three episodes in. I can't say that I'm I'm hooked yet, um, but it's got potential right now. Did you watch it first off, and did you enjoy it? 
Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, I love it. And there's an episode coming up, I believe it's the fifth episode of the first season in which Tony takes Meadow to look at colleges. Yes. I'm, I just, okay, okay, yeah. Just that's considered that. the Maybe first transcendent Sopranos episode that really gave people a notion that this could be a really special show. Really? Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, forward to that. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I'm doing now. You do anything interesting this uh, this weekend? First of all, on this, that television note, have you seen The Wire, Breaking Bad, or Mad Men? Because I know you've seen I've Thrones seen, and now Sopranos. Those the, are the other I, sort I of pantheon shows. I did Breaking Bad, um, oh. and that was, I mean, I was up like in the middle of the night for that kind of stuff. So that was a full-on binge. I have not seen Mad Men. I have not seen, what was the other one? The Wire. The Wire. I heard a lot about The Wire. Uh, that, that's a, a very, very down and dirty type of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, on the topic of television, I've already plowed through season three of The Crown, which is one of my favorite shows, okay. uh, and I loved it. Very good. Uh, it takes a minute to adjust to the new cast, but uh, very good actors who stepped in. So uh, excellent season of The Crown. I already can't wait for the next one because that's when they're going to introduce Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana. So it oh uh, should be great. Also, I've started the Maradona in Mexico Netflix documentary about his coaching with Dorados yes, in Mexico. Yes, I started that uh, the other day. I yeah, didn't it's it. a nice little epilogue yeah. to the one that just yeah. aired about his playing career. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so lots going on. Perfect. So there's plenty of um, television for people to watch out there. So I'll let you know as I go along if The Sopranos lives up to to the hype. So far, so far, so good. But as you mentioned, I'm still early days, and I would think at this point, The Sopranos in real time would not have transcended and you know been this incredible type of show yet that that came a little bit later so i'll be interested to see that arc and how it continues on as you already mentioned there's some things there all right enough talk about uh television shows mossy ready to light this candle yep all right as you know each and every week we kick the pod off with alexi lawless's state of the union yes it's time for my state of the union where i look at a part of the game from an american perspective and this week it goes a little something like this the Chicago Fire unveiled their rebrand this week, which features a new oval badge, a minimalistic red gold mirrored fire crown, and of course, the now seemingly mandatory addition of FC, football club, to the club name. The reaction on social media, our modern day judge, jury, and executioner was, well, less than kind. Now, social media can often give us a warped perception of reality. It's not a great focus group, and it can amplify a vocal minority. But it's also hard to avoid or ignore the volume blaring daily from the echo chamber. There are also some universal truths in a rebrand. One being that it's impossible to please everyone, especially when everyone now has a platform and megaphone. In general, the reaction questioned a design process that resulted in what many see as an uninspired and needlessly regressive new Chicago Fire logo. Some specific complaints. The fire crown looks strikingly similar to mountains already used in the Vancouver Whitecaps logo. The new red, gold, and blue color scheme is already used by Real Salt Lake. And a potentially more serious problem, the similarity to a long-standing logo of a well-known Chicago gang. Now, for the record, relative to past MLS rebrands, I was underwhelmed by this new logo. There's a fine line between simple and boring. Yes, you want a child to be able to draw it, but you don't want it to look like a child drew it. But you know what always changes a negative reaction? Winning. Winning solves most problems, or at least pushes them aside. The problem for the Chicago Fire is they haven't done much winning lately. So, the sooner the new downtown Chicago Fire FC with their fire crown start winning, the sooner people will come around and accept this new look. Who knows? You win enough? 
and you may even learn to love it. All right, Mossy, uh, there is my State of the Union for uh, this week. As you can see, I uh, made my own personal uh, Chicago Fire FC uh, swag here with a hat because sometimes it's hard just to actually see a crest or a, bra a badge or a logo uh, as opposed to actually putting it on um, clothing and stuff like that. I actually think it, it looks, this particular one starts to look better and better when you put it on uh, clothing. But are we uh, right now, uh, are we at peak American soccer ridiculousness when <laughs> this is leading off uh, the podcast? When I say we, I mean me and, and our podcast. Are we at peak uh, American soccer ridiculousness when this is what we are discussing? Or is this just kind of part and parcel for who we are as an American soccer playing nation? Yeah, the reaction was a bit over the top, I thought. I, I did read that the issue with the previous logo was that it resembled too much the Chicago Firefighters logo. And the problem with this one, as you mentioned, is that it resembles too much a gang. So my question would be for you, if you're walking down the streets of Chicago, would you rather be uh, mistaken for a fireman or a gang member? <laughs> Jeez. Well, look, this is, and I mean, we, we can laugh about it, but this is obviously a, a serious part of it. Now, I've, I've, I've put them up side by side and kind of uh, looked at the different things, and there are similarities. And this gets, this gets into the, the process, because I've been around a long time. I was, I was involved and led a process that rebranded the Los Angeles Galaxy many, many years ago. And as I said in the State of the Union, there's no way to please everyone. Having said that, when I look at back at, at, at all the different brands that have come out, this one left me scratching my head. And don't think for a second that there aren't a lot of people very qualified people, a lot of money and time and resource wasn't spent on this because these are, these are important and it is important. Now, when we look at, uh, at this one, the design firm that was uh, employed, uh, Doubleday and Cartwright, this is a design firm that is, has offices in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and Los Angeles, California not in, in Chicago. Having said that, they've been involved in soccer. They've done some different uh, designs for, for Major League Soccer. When you first saw it, okay, first visceral reaction, what was it? Yeah, bland and plain and kind of boring and underwhelming. Now, have you had that type of reaction before? Because, I mean, we've seen not, not just rebrands, but actual just introductions of brands because there's so much expansion when it comes to Major League Soccer. And, and by the way, it's not just limited to Major League Soccer. Remember when Juventus a couple of years ago came out with their new, uh, new crest and new brand and stuff like that, and it was met with not a positive reaction. And, and you mentioned the other thing before. I think there's a lot of this reaction is the fact that there's a lot of Chicago Fire fans out there that said, look, while there are problems with our club, both on and off the field, the badge was not one of them. It was a badge that everybody liked. I, I thought it was a fine badge. So if you are going to rebrand and have a new badge, it damn well better be better than the one that you, that you already had. There better be an improvement. I think too, too many people saw it as this is just a regression. Uh, I know you've spoken a lot about the inferiority complex mm -hmm. that uh, American soccer has and this need to sound authentic. How much does the FC bother you, this need to stick that at the back of every name now? I, I have gotten to the point where I don't want to bang my head anymore because it just hurts and nobody cares <laughs> that I am banging my head. In that I don't like it, there is a part of me that is sensitive to it because I want to I wanna say... No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to capitulate. I don't want to um, accommodate what I feel is this snobbery and this elitism. <laughs> However, I get it. I, I get it. And there are numbers and there are studies and there is information and research out there that while I can say it's ridiculous and you are, you are being ridiculous, 
it appeals it to a lot of people and a lot of potential either fans that already exist or potential fans it signifies uh, relevancy it signifies authenticity it signifies a genuine quote unquote team that kicks a ball as opposed to soccer which is even though we know it's not from America, and we can get into that um, later, but we're not going to, it is associated for the most part, and I know they say it other places, but for the most part, soccer, when you say soccer, it's associated with America. And therefore, a lot of people put put that together with inauthentic and not genuine and plastic or all business or all those different things. So I get it. And the other thing, and we've talked about this before, is when you have a, a team, you want to ha- be relevant globally. And if the rest of the world calls it FC... Um, and you are put behind the eight ball because you are calling yourself a, a soccer club, that's something that you have to look at, look at. Let me ask you about social media. Yeah. I was slow to come around to Twitter. Uh, I still don't tweet as often as a lot of people think I should. And one thing I try to avoid is getting sucked into that Twitter vortex where two or three people say something to you, and it gets in your head, and you think it's an argument you have to refute, even though no serious person is making that case. And, and the fan base, by and large, doesn't think that. But if two or three fans of a club say something to you on Twitter, you somehow construct this idea in your head that, oh, Barcelona fans think that, sure. Real Madrid fans think that. But if you were running a club in the year 2019, how cognizant would you be of the Twitter reaction to any decisions you made? You know, as I, as I said in the State of the Union, it is, at times, it can be a, a very much a echo chamber that is not reflective, as you said, of the majority and that vocal minority that can come up. And look, how often do you on Twitter, uh, or any social media for that matter, um, the amount of times and the, the, the amount of people and the percentage that people respond saying something nice or saying something positive is minimal compared to saying something negative. People love to critique and people love to criticize. And look, we're in the industry at times where, where, uh, where we do that. So I, I, I think that people recognize that just because Twitter says something or social media says something doesn't make it so. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't glean some information off of there. And to, you know, to your point, if only one person is saying it, well, if only one person is, is saying something interesting or provocative or something that stimulates something in me, then I'm not going to not respond simply because it's just one person. Now, I know we have to understand you know, when we're doing a show or anything like that, we want to bring as many people into the tent. And so we can't get into the weeds and just find one person. If this per- one person likes it, doesn't mean that it's something that should be on a, a podcast or something that it should be on a, on a television, television show. But I also think that there is... Uh, a worthwhile mining of ideas and opinions and at times critiques and criticisms out there that even though it might be a minority and even though it might be one person or something like that, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, th- that it's not valid. The other thing is, you know, because as this exploded last week, and it's all relative. I know it's just soccer. I know not only it's just soccer, but it's just American soccer. It's just Major League, Major League Soccer, which I know is two countries, but just it's just Major League Soccer. It's just Chicago soccer. It's just Chicago fire soccer and stuff like that. But as this, uh, as this exploded, the question became, well, does this hit a point where the uh, powers that be, the Chicago Fire FC, actually contemplate maybe going in a different direction or changing or responding 
to the emotion and the passion and the negative reaction that's out there. Now, they've said that that's not something they want to do. And look, if, if they believe that this is the way to go, then fine. And as I said in the State of the Union, winning is going to solve a lot of things. And there have been other brands out there that have come out and said, eh, you know, maybe it's not. But this and the reaction, I, put out a, I just put out a couple tweets. So this is where we, we get into the numbers type of game. The reaction that I had in terms of the replies for two tweets, just with the, with just saying, give me your thoughts on the, uh, on the new Oval Chicago Fire. It was incredible. It was unprecedented. And it just, I mean, it just, it, it just time after time again, people talking about it. And yes, it was, it was mostly negative. But I don't think that that is a reason necessarily. And I don't think that it's going to happen in terms of them changing it. What franchises in MLS most disappoint you in the sense that they're operating below their potential and, man, MLS would be so much more fun if they were functioning properly and were in the mix? Are, are the fire top that list? Yes, the fire top that list because of, I think there's, you know, when, and this is going to be horrible, and, uh, but uh, when, when you talk about, let's say, for example, the Rapids, Colorado Rapids, okay? Uh, Colorado and Denver as a market relative to Chicago, okay, it is night and day. And so I think people look at, while certainly the Colorado Rapids can be better, how much better can they get? Because no matter what, even if they're killing it, they're still in, uh, in Denver, Colorado. As opposed to Chicago, if Chicago was a juggernaut, being the, the size of the market, the potential of that market, the history of that market when it comes to not just not just soccer, but you know, uh, music and culture and history uh, that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, I think that it is disappointing. And if this, but here's the here's the problem. If you are a good team, okay, then it makes your brand that much better. And people that don't like it tend to just accept it because because you're a good team. But if you're a bad team. And you have what people have looked at as a bad badge, logo, brand, mark. I know there's, I'm using all these different names because there's a million different names for it. That's, that's a problem because it's just going to add fuel to the fire. And so for Chicago, I think it's almost as if it's that much more important now that the Chicago Fire, Chicago Fire FC are successful on the field because now they can't even fall back on, yeah, but... We're selling a lot of stuff and everybody loves our new brand and it looks great and it's a wonderful positive uh, type of reaction because they don't have that right now. So what else? What else, Mossy? No, that's it. That's uh, it? Yeah. That's it? I mean, like you said, winning solves everything. If, they, if they're if they a good team next year, nobody's going to be worried about the logo. I'll be interested to see the numbers when it comes to how much of it was uh, how much of it was, was sold. And these are things, and I, I started it out, I guess I'll finish it with this. When I say, you know, peak American soccer ridiculousness, it's a little facetious because these things are important. And the, the emotion and the passion that people feel and the personal part of this that's that's an important thing. I know a lot, I talk a lot about business, and I know I talk a lot about the realities of uh, of business out there. But the personal reaction and the personal attachment that you have with the team often manifests in different ways, including how you dress and what you wear and the pride that you ultimately take in putting that on. So I'll be interested to see, number one, you know, who are the rebrand never type of folks out there that just continue to show up in their old Chicago stuff and how that changes, why that changes, which gets back to your point about uh, winning. And if 
10 years from now, we're going to look back at, uh, what are we at, uh, almost December of uh, 2019 and laugh at the reaction uh, that was had of this of this mark, this badge, this logo, this symbol um, that uh, that is now come to be so important and the transition has happened. It is growing on me just over the course of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's uh, Well, you know what? If, I, I, if the Chicago fo uh, folks are listening out there, Chicago Fire FC folks out there are listening out there, send us some swag. We will populate behind us. I will, you know, this, as I said, this was manufactured a couple minutes before the uh, show to give you an I idea. And when I saw some of the videos and pictures of people wearing the hoodies and stuff like that, it looked a lot better. And so maybe that will quell the masses a little bit. But who knows? True who story. Knows? When I started working at uh, Fox uh, eight years ago, it was still the Fox Soccer Channel. Uh, the cubicle they gave me contained an Eric Winalda Chicago Fire jersey. They were just kind of laying there. Really? Yeah. You're the one. Okay. That's good. <laughs> All right, so uh, let us know what you think of the, uh, uh, continue to let us know what you think of the uh, new Chicago Fire FC uh, brand that they have, uh, they have just put out. And we'll see if uh, the, uh, the actual fire on the field downtown with a move back to downtown Chicago uh, is, is much better and how that affects that uh, brand going forward. All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more. All on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free. And you can cancel at any time. So check out FoxSoccerMatchPass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's that time again. Time for Mossy Makes the Case. My good friend David Mossy makes a case about something that he uh, is itching to talk about. What are you uh, casing for this week, Mossy? Uh, my case is that for Jose Mourinho, more than ever before, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know that over the last 11 months, I've been fascinated to see where Jose Mourinho would end up next. When he was sacked by Manchester United, Mourinho bristled at the notion that he would have to take a step back, insisting instead that when he returned, it would be at a quote-unquote big club. Sure enough, he turned down the likes of Lyon, Benfica, and Celtic, seemingly waiting for a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich to come calling. So, was the strategy vindicated? Well, depends on who you ask. The fascinating thing about the choice of Tottenham is that at a time when European football is pretty delineated between the haves and have-nots, Mourinho managed to find a club that floats in a gray area. Tottenham have elements of a big club. They're a perennial top four team in the most prestigious league in the world. They're five months removed from contesting a Champions League final. They play in a beautiful new stadium. And they have players like Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen who on their best day would walk into most starting lineups in Europe. But Mourinho's predecessor, Mauricio Pochettino, spent five and a half years at the club, didn't win a single trophy, and yet is universally lauded, rightly so in my opinion, for having done a phenomenal job, which kind of undercuts the notion of being a big club, if that's the mentality. So what constitutes success for Jose Mourinho at Tottenham? Well, even he's not sure. In his introductory press conference, he said, Tottenham can win the league next season, and then quickly added, but I'm not saying we will. Mourinho has achieved special things before, including guiding Porto to the Champions League title, but for many years, he's given the impression of being a man who feels like he's graduated to that super club level, and he expects to be in places where he's given the resources to sign any player he wants and to compete toe-to-toe -to -toe with the biggest clubs in pursuit of 
of major trophies. He now finds himself at a club whose net spend over the last five years is close to zero, a club that thinks nothing of going entire transfer windows without signing a single player, a club where most fans would sign for the next five years going the exact same way as the previous five years. It makes for an interesting fit on a lot of levels. Some people think Jose Mourinho is finished as a top manager. Others think he's the best in the world. And the reality is, when his time at Tottenham is done, we still might not be sure who was right. Ooh, interesting, Mossy. Interesting. Well done. Okay, a couple questions for you. First off, where would you put him in, as I said, late November 2019, which is when we're recording this, where does he fall? Is he a top five manager in the world right now? Uh, I wouldn't put him in the top five. Top 10? Top 10, yes. You put him in top 10. And you wouldn't put him in top five because the game has passed him by or he's coming off of, yeah, I mean, relative to Jose Mourinho, a unsuccessful, I, I, I'm still putting that in quotes because it remains to be seen whether it was unsuccessful right. stint. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before. I think you can draw a line after that treble with Inter, and that represents a before and after in his career. Up to that point, he won trophies at an absurd clip. His his football wasn't that negative compared to other big clubs. Uh, he had a wit and a charm to him. Uh, opponents might not like him, but his players would run through a brick wall for him, and fans at the clubs that he managed worshipped him. Mm-hmm. So that Mourinho was clearly worth the trouble. The good outweighed the bad. And I would argue since the summer of 2010 when he left enter to go to Real Madrid. The uh, record hasn't been that great. Uh, His negative brand of football sticks out even more in this super club era. He's feuded with his own players, alienated fans at his own club, and that wit and that charm has given way to kind of a bitter old crank. And so that Mourinho uh, hasn't been worth the trouble. I actually think the good, the bad has outweighed the good. But, you know, what we're seeing here is people went on a charm offense over the last few months trying to convince owners that he had learned from his mistakes and he would be different. And we've seen that in his early interviews with Tottenham. And people are acting like he, he's trying to become a Mourinho that he never was. I would argue he's trying to become a Mourinho that he was at one point in his career. So it's not that big of a stretch to me. Are, are you buying this wait, kindler, wait, so what, gentler? what are you equating it to? Which point in his career? Well, I, I don't think he was... He he was that unlikable in the eight years spanning Porto, first go around at Chelsea, Inter Milan. You know, he was always a polarizing figure, but it wasn't yeah. to the degree that he later became. But his, his MO was he wins, okay? That was what he was built on. I never heard people say, you know, while his players may have run through the, run through the wall for him, it wasn't a situation where you, you got him to coach him up, okay? And so now, as you rightly mentioned, he's coming to a place that, maybe more so than anywhere, has said, no, we're not, we're not about going out and buying more players. Sometimes we don't buy any players at all right now. So can that work? Can you see a Mourinho in this type of situation coaching up the group that he has? And not just coaching him up, because also you mentioned Pochettino was given great credit for doing more with less and, you know, uh, eking out as much as he possibly could with the talent that it was at his disposal. So now... Mourinho has to do more, or he has to convince the the higher-ups, and you would think that those conversations, if he's going to convince it, would have been had to spend more money and to go out there and get more players. I think where we're headed is over the next two or three years, I don't think he's going to sniff a Premier League or Champions League title, but I could definitely see him winning League Cups, FA Cups. If Tottenham don't finish in the top four this season, they'll be in the Europa League next season. I could definitely see him winning that. And then Mourinho and his devotees will tout the fact that, look, the guy before me, Mauricio Pochettino, didn't win any trophies, and everybody thought he was so great. I'm winning trophies. So 
I'm clearly doing a great job. I'm, I'm improving on what Pochettino did. Now, Mourinho critics will say if Tottenham are aspiring to be a big club, when you talk about big clubs and trophies, implicit in that is league titles, Champions League titles. So for a club of Tottenham stature, how much weight would you give to him winning League Cups, Europa Leagues? Do you think that would be a big deal and constitute a success or not? I think the you're, you're underestimating, not you, but in general, you're underestimating the impact and the importance of that money shot of somebody holding up a cup because right or wrong, we equate it with success. And I mean, times sometimes we equate we, we equate it with success, and it's one game. They'll they'll, they'll say, well, you won the uh, what's the the the, begin, the game that you have at the uh, beginning? Community Shield. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we, we we won we won silverware. We won a trophy and stuff like that. So, but that's what right, wrong, fair or not. That's what we equate with it. Now, having said that, remember Mourinho at Manchester United said that his greatest coaching feat was getting them to finish second uh, second that year. So if he does the same thing for Spurs and he's out there saying, well, we didn't win anything. However, look what I had at my disposal and I made them that much better. Does that fly? I, I don't think Mourinho flies as a coach him up type of situation. Mourinho only flies when somebody is holding up something silver and everybody says, you know what? While we might have liked the other guy, and while the other guy might have been even a better coach at times, all that matters is winning, because then I can beat my chest and say, uh, we are winners. And unless he brings that to Spurs, I think it's really difficult for it to be called a success. And I remember his first season at United, after they won the Europa League, beating Ajax in the final, he was running around the field holding up three fingers to indicate they had won three trophies that season. Now, mind you, that was the uh, famous Europa League League Cup Community Shield treble <laughs> that we, we all <laughs> romanticize about, exactly. the classic treble. So he has no problem touting those kinds of trophies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on Pochettino, Roy Smith, who's a writer I like very much, his whole take here is that when you do something remarkable consistently enough, people lose sight of how remarkable it is. And he thinks that uh, given the level of spending at Tottenham and throwing the stadium issue he had to deal with, that Pochettino finishing in the top four every year and getting to the knockout stages of the Champions League was an amazing achievement, but he did it so many seasons in a row that we started to take it for granted. Do you buy that at all? I do, because it is, I mean... They were in the Champions League final. And I know the soccer gods and, and stuff had to happen in order for that to happen. And then how many months later, he's, he's out? And it's not as if they're facing relegation. It, it, it's strange. What do, you, how, what do you think the talk was? What do you think the conversation was as to why they wanted to fight? I would argue that coming off that Champions League final appearance, Pochettino wanted as much power over transfers as Klopp has at Liverpool or Pep has at City. He felt like he earned that, and he wanted them to spend big to try to compete with those clubs and go to that proverbial next level, and he grew very disenchanted when he sensed that that was not happening. And so, well, Was I, this a surprise to him? Uh, no, but uh, it was just... It, was, it kept getting more and more frustrating each season. I, I think... You know, I think the only the only way this move makes sense for Tottenham is if they're not going to change their ways and they're not going to spend big in the next couple of years. And they sense, look, Pochettino, if you're sick of this squad and this squad is sick of you, then we might as well go our separate ways. But if they actually are going to contemplate changing their ways and giving the manager more power and spending more money and remaking the squad, then if you were going to do that, you might as well have kept Pochettino sure. because that was the big yeah. source of friction. And so you'd be, you'd be removing that. And so this move makes me think the Tottenham are not going to change their ways. So as you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho copes with some of the issues that drove Pochettino crazy over the years. But then I don't want to hear... When they're not raising cups or trophies from Mourinho, yeah, but uh, you know, I don't. I can only do so much, and I'm only getting so much out of it. You knew going into it, and that's where clubs, I think, 
and clubs ultimately comes down to individuals, I think have to be much more transparent. And it's hard because sometimes you're coming out there and telling people what they don't want to hear. And the last thing that season ticket holders, last thing that supporters, fans want to hear is that we, not only we, we can't compete, but we're not going to compete with the level. And in many times in saying that, what you're doing is saying your expectations are too high right now. And that's a very difficult conversation to have. I think if you gave Mourinho truth serum the day after he got sacked by Manchester United and told him that over the next year, the best option that's going to present itself is going to be Tottenham, he would have bristled at that. He would have said, wait a minute, I'm Jose Mourinho. I've won 25 trophies, two Champions League crowns, league titles in four different countries. And I think not being considered for the Bayern job was the last piece of evidence he needed that he's not going to get a super club uh, job at this point. And Tottenham is big enough that he could talk himself into it. It might not be Real Madrid, but it's certainly bigger than Lyon or Benfica or Celtic. It is the Premier League. It's in London. It's a club that just contested the Champions League final. He feels like he's back in the middle of the action to some degree. So I can understand that. And and I will defend Mourinho on one thing. Uh, I have no issue with a guy who managed Chelsea before and who once upon a time said he he would never manage Tottenham, taking the Tottenham job now. I mean, th- this mentality that fans have, it must be the same people that get mad when a former player celebrates a goal against them. You know, I, I just find it so childish uh, for fans to expect players and managers to have the same level of identification with your club that you do. Look, it's a job. They're there because it makes the most professional sure. sense for them to be there. And when it makes the most professional sense for them to be somewhere else, they're going to be somewhere else. And this whole business that if you played or managed for this club, you can never play or manage for that club. I know people say that at the time, but it, they're just saying it to pander to the club they're at at that time. And they don't really mean it. And fans need to be smarter and understand that, 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 you know, Frank Lampard can say whatever he wants now. Frank Lampard's been a manager for like five minutes. Who, who knows where he's going to be 10 years from now, 15 <laughs> years from now. I want to see if he's out of a job and Tottenham come calling, and that's clearly the best option if he's not going to take it. I mean, give me a break. Uh, so we'll leave it with this. Uh, when, if and when Mourinho, either he already has or in the next uh, short period, he's able to convince ownership to do things differently and literally to change their philosophy and stuff like that. If you're Pochettino you got to be sitting back wherever he ends up being going, what the, you know? <laughs> so it, it'll be very interesting to see, like you said, if it's just a continuation of it. And then this is just how does Jose Mourinho do under that, uh, that with the understanding that nothing has changed or if his power and his leverage coming in clicks uh, either because of his ability to persuade or this was a plan all along and he just happens to be the per- the beneficiary of it in terms of changing what they're doing. But they've been pretty steadfast that this is their business model and they're not changing regardless of who you are. All right, we'll see what, uh, what happens to him. Anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the uh, social media uh, platforms that we've talked so much about uh, in terms of their importance. They're vital in, ter- in terms of what we are doing. But you use that hashtag, uh, send us your questions, comments, concerns, and we pick a few each week, as, uh, and then we read them out on air, as Mossy is about to do right now. All right, first up, at Stu Holden, if you were Pochettino, which job <laughs> would you take if offered both, Man United or Bayern? A quick story about this question. I was in the control room yesterday covering Bundesliga. I turned to our boss, Zach Kenworthy, and asked this question of him. He thought it was so interesting. He then ran upstairs to where the talent were, mentioned it to Stu, and Stu thought it was interesting enough that he tweeted it out. Alex Dowd knew nothing of this, so he grabbed this question, put it in here. So we've now come full circle where I'm being asked to answer a question that I came up with originally. There we go. Well, anatomy of a tweet is what we are giving you uh, here. I was there when Stuart 
contemplated this, heard this, contemplated it, then took it for his own, uh, and then put it out there on the uh, uh, on Twitter. And the response was in- instantaneous because he was reading it back to us and, and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know where we are right now in terms of uh, the uh, – because it was a um, – what do you call it? A, a, a poll. poll yes. A poll out there. But right off the bat, it was – Bayern Munich was way, way ahead in terms of, and there were plenty of Manchester United folks uh, out there that said, I'm a Manchester United fan, and they, he does not need to go anywhere uh, near this uh, uh, this problem, shall we say, or challenge that they have at Manchester United. So the answer to your question, Stu, if I had to vote, would be Bayern Munich. I still think the I mean, look, this is a huge, huge brand right now when it comes to Manchester United. But the credibility that you get by going to Bayern Munich at this moment, I still think is greater than going to a Manchester United with what they are right now. You can always go to a Manchester United, but I think between the two, I think he would have more success. I think a change would do him good. Does he have more upside going to Manchester United? Yeah. He does. But there's still, you're working, I mean, you're going to win the league. You're certainly going to have a chance of winning the league, and you can't really say that about Manchester United right now. You're going to be involved in Champions League each and every uh, year. You're playing with some of the best players in the world, including arguably, not playing, you're coaching some of the best players in the world, including arguably the best goal scorer in the world in Robin Lewandowski and a host of talent around that. You have plenty of money. You're not under a... Spurs-esque type of scenario where you're not allowed to spend money. You're going to spend smart money, but they can certainly spend money at Bayern uh, Bayern Munich. And I think the cachet of being a coach at Bayern Munich is just that much more. Pep didn't go to England first. Pep went to Bayern Munich. And maybe it was, it was certainly a different time, but I think he recognized that that cosmo it's it's a much more cosmopolitan type type of thing to have on your resume and i think that's that resonated with him and i think it would resonate with paul i agree listen the premier league has a lot of prestige and as you mentioned despite their struggles uh, of late manchester united are still a big brand but there's an appropriate level of weight to be given to that and if you're arguing that manchester united are a better job than bayern right now then to me you're giving a disproportionate amount of weight to that uh, bayern munich are every bit as big a club as manchester united and it's such a better footballing situation bayern have slipped a little bit in the last year but not nearly to the same degree as manchester united the right manager goes in there makes a couple of moves and you can be massively successful right away. That is not the case at Manchester United. And by the way, I think that's where we're headed. Pochettino is going to go to Bayern. You think, huh? That's my sense. Okay. The only question for me would be whether they hire him already in January or they reach a deal with him in January, but for next season, and they give him six months to learn German, and they just keep Hansi Flick in charge until the rest of the season. I could see them going either way on that. Uh, but I do think when the dust settles, Pochettino will be at Bayern. It'll be a great move for him. It'll be a great move for Bayern, and, and he's going to be very successful there. All right. There you go, Stu. Thanks uh, for the question. Keep them coming, whether you write them or not. Okay. <laughs> What's next, Masi? At Own3DMikau. Uh, thoughts on MLS expansion draft. Should it be a thing or should new clubs have to supply their own product? Also, does the salary cap on MLS hurt or help or N slash A USA soccer? What am I missing there? Nothing. It doesn't do anything, right? All right. There's a lot of questions there, Michael, Mikal, whoever you are. So the expansion draft, which actually just happened a week ago, yes, it should continue. And in a day and age where so many people want to 
throw their uh, what's the what's the what's this phrase when you throw your stuff out of the uh, the the baby carriage or the throw your out of the pram? And what's it called? What's the toys out of the? I don't know. You throw your toys out of the thing. In, in this day and age, where people sign contracts and then they get all angry because they don't like the contracts that they sign. Or they get into situations where they knew ahead of time what the circumstances would be, and then they start complaining about it. It's a lot of time. It angers me. It ir- well, it doesn't anger me. It irritates me. And so an expansion draft, for those that maybe don't know, is when you add a new team to a league like Major League Soccer does, everybody, the rest of the teams... Uh, are involved in a draft where that new team or new teams have the ability to draft players off of the existing players from other teams, which means that you might have a player that you like that's played very well for you that you lose in the expansion draft. And that player could go from playing for you to this new team because that's the, the, uh, the structure. Everybody knows it going in. All the ownership understands that and the fan base uh, understands that. And that's part of being a single entity and part of being a collective and a recognition that as you grow, making sure that others have the ability to compete. Now, you might not like the structure. If you don't like the structure, then don't partake in it and don't be involved in it. All right. But don't complain uh, about the uh, expansion draft. I don't think it should go anywhere. I think it's a really interesting type of thing uh, because you see what teams or how much teams value different players and that's who they protect and who they don't protect i think it's it's fascinating to see that type of thing happen and it's not going anywhere anytime soon because there's more and more expansion teams uh coming in as it relates to the actual salary cap that's a much bigger bigger question a much longer answer but the reality is that the reason why major league soccer is going into its 25th year celebrating its 25th uh, year anniversary in 2020 is precisely because of the business plan. And that business plan is single entity, entity, and the collective is more important than the individual team that was structured from the very beginning. There's people that like it, there's people that don't like it. But I think you have to admit, and to a certain extent, even if you don't like it, you have to at least respect the fact that this was the business plan, and this is what it has enabled Major League Soccer to survive, uh, and in many cases, to thrive. The salary cap is relative to a belief that you need to manufacture parity, and that exists, and that is done by the salary cap, that is done by expansion drafts, that is done by the draft order, that is done by roster restrictions, that is done by money restrictions. All of those different things are designed to keep this as competitive as possible. And even saying that, there has been a loosening of those strings uh, to the extent that there has been a separation of haves and have-nots, not relative to most leagues around the world, but certainly relative to when the league uh, first started. So I don't think I think the salary cap is important. I think the salary cap helps people make better decisions. I think the salary cap helps it be a more competitive league. I would love to see a salary cap type of situation in other leagues and then be able to assess players, be able to assess front office people, and be able to assess coaches where it's a much more equal playing field than it is right now. And I don't see that happening because there is an argument to be made for having major haves and have-nots. That's why I talk about super clubs. That's why I talk about clubs that as many people hate as love, clubs that spend more money than anybody else, and how that can be a very, very persuasive uh, and important part of, uh, of a league right now. But the actual salary cap right now, I think it helps Major League Soccer. Now, it needs to be increased. 
It needs to be increased significantly if you're going to compete, especially in the international market. But the actual salary cap and having a limit and having restrictions as to what people can and cannot do, I think it's prudent. I don't think it's going away. And I think it's important to have for any league. All right, next. Next up, at Shard Grove. Favorite book you read this year? Oh, boy. Let's see. I don't do, I don't know about you, I don't do a whole lot of reading anymore. And I don't say that with any type of, of um, pride or, or glee. I just think it's the world in which we live in. You know, I grew up with a mother who was and is a poet and a father who was a professor. And reading was a huge, huge, important component of my upbringing. And uh, I recognize the importance of it. It just takes different forms nowadays. And so actual books, let's see. Um, okay, so there was, I, I wrote one down. Caitlin Murray, from a soccer perspective, uh, I really enjoyed her uh, book about the U.S. women's national team. It's called The National Team, an inside story of the women who changed soccer. Uh, I did have ulterior motives in, in reading it in that while it was interesting, it also was great preparation for the World Cup, uh, the Women's World Cup this summer to get an understanding, or greater understanding of the history and what the U.S. women's national team is relative to uh, American soccer. Bodur uh, has a uh, really interesting book out called Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup, a Historical and Cultural Reality Check. Now, these are kind of in-the-weeds soccer type of things. The only other books that that I read are oftentimes biographies, uh, and most of the time music biographies from people that you may or may not heard of. Uh, Sebastian Bach, a lead singer for, uh, used to be lead singer of of Skid Row and that kind of stuff. Uh, So either I read them or I reread these these types of books. But if you want a, a book that shows my level of intellect and understanding and uh, the layers that I possess, I cannot give you one. I can go off on podcasts. <laughs> I, can, I can talk to you all day long about uh, different podcasts and documentaries uh, uh, that I've seen. But when it comes to books, who is it? Shard Grove. Uh, those are a couple right there that uh, I found interesting this year. You, Mossy, anything? Do you do any reading this year? I'm normally a voracious reader, but over the last year or so, that's taken a backseat to my language studies, uh, French oh, and Italian. Right. Whenever I have any free time, I'm usually reading a Are French and Italian textbook. Are you an old school book reader or a Kindle? Uh, old school or, book reader, history buff, uh, like re, like you read a lot of biographies. Actually, right. the one book I re- read this year that was very good was this biography on Leonardo da Vinci. So uh, once I'm done with my language studies, I'll, I'll get back to reading a lot and I'll have a better answer uh, to Yeah, I would have loved to have a nice pretentious elitist type of uh, answer there of some obscure book about the, you know, some obscure moment in history or, or, or story or something like that that nobody's heard of yet and that I'm a, around the curve on, but I don't. What do we think is the last book Alex Dowd has read? Picture book or? uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I bet you he's a voracious reader. Um, Okay. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. That is it for Ask Alexi. Make sure you use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there when you're uh, sending it on all the old social media platforms out there. And we'll pick a few as we just did and read them each and every week. All right. Moving on. The Back Three. All right. It's time for the uh, Back Three when we look at some big stories or games or moments out there from the world of soccer. What's in our Back Three this week, Mossy? First up, uh, match day five of the UEFA Champions League. This was originally not in the rundown that Alex Dowd sent out, uh, which when you see the matchups this week is 
pretty mind-boggling that he had left this out. But uh, Par for the course, got, right? <laughs> yes. You've got uh, Real Madrid hosting PSG. Uh, a couple thoughts there. Uh, I mentioned this before. This did not set up well for Neymar. He missed PSG's first four group games due to injury or suspension. They won all four, and now he comes back for their toughest game. He returned from injury this past week against Lille. Looked very rusty, played about 60 minutes, was not good. I'm even wondering if Tuchel's going to start him in this game. Uh, if he does, there's a chance he'll play poorly, they'll lose, and then the narrative will be, oh, they were better off without him. From a Real Madrid perspective, they're dealing with this Gareth Bale situation. He was out for two months with this mysterious injury that nobody could put their finger on, and then miraculously recovered in time to play for Wales in Euro qualifying, and after helping Wales qualify, then held up that banner that said, Wales, Golf, Madrid. That's a reference to an interview Predrag Miatovic gave recently in which he said, Bale's list of priorities are Wales, golf and Madrid. Madrid fans were kind of up in arms about that. A lot of people thought Zidane was going to bring the hammer down on him, but instead Zidane has put his arm around Bale, defended him, said it's not that big a deal, and he brought him on in the second half this past weekend against Real Sociedad. He did get booed, but still, it was a gesture on Zidane's part to kind of bring him back into the fold, and I'm wondering if Zidane might even start him in this game, which might mean which would mean benching Rodrigo, who's the fan favorite, who scored a hat-trick in their last Champions League game. What did you make of that whole Bale thing? We were talking about books in the last segment. I, I will read the book that discusses the time uh, that Bale has had at Real Madrid, and specifically over the last couple of years when it has kind of gone off the off the rails, depending on who you ask, because he just seems to be above it all. He just kind of <laughs> goes through and, ah, I play, I don't play. If you throw me in, I'll score. I mean, you know, and he, he's, he's never one to be very public, which is why the, the display was so kind of out of character uh, for him. I, I mean, even over the last couple of years, how many times have I, have I said to myself, well, this has got to be it, right? I mean, this is, this is, it's untenable. You can't, you can't continue <laughs> to do something like this. And yet they just keep on, they just keep on going. Now, might be that he goes to his ATM and he says, well, this is great. You can call me whatever you want. You can say whatever you want me publicly or, or privately. And I'm just going to keep cashing those, uh, cashing those checks and, and playing golf and doing those things. But it just seems to me for a guy who's made so much money, he doesn't need to make any more money. At some point, don't you just want to say, I, I don't need this. I, I want to be someplace where I'm happy and I'm appreciated. And th that's not. It'll be interesting years from now when we look back at Bale at Real Madrid. Do you think it's going to be a positive framing of it? Not from his perspective, from, from outside perspective. Not... Uh, in Madrid, but to everybody else in the outside world, of course, the right. man scored game-winning goals in two Champions League finals. Uh, it, it's such a disconnect there between how people in Madrid see him and how everybody else sees it. Barcelona hosts Dortmund. Uh, Barcelona not playing that well. Ernesto Valverde not exactly in comfortable footing there, but I want to focus on the other manager. Dortmund are not as cutthroat as other big European clubs, but they did spend money this season, and there was a sense that this was really the year for them to do something, and it's not gone well. They got thumped by Bayern in their classic. If they were to get drilled here, what's your sense on Lucien Favre? Aus. 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 So he, he's Aus. one more bad result yeah. away from... I mean, look, we, we, we saw what happened over the weekend. I mean, it was... Um, what was the score? 3-3 uh, three, three, three against three. Paderborn. Yeah, Almost yes. lost to the last I mean, place team. But they're 3-0 at, at halftime. So, right. yes, you congratulate them on the comeback, and then you say, but well, it's Paderborn, and you're coming back. Well, you're, you're supposed to be Dortmund, okay? And... There's something that's not right right now. Now, do you fire him in uh, after a Champions League type of thing, or is that that more understandable? I think it is more under, understandable, but I think he is 
on a really, really short leash right now. It's funny to me, this concept, too. You saw it with Dortmund against Paderborn and Arsenal against Southampton. You score a late stoppage time equalizer, and people say, oh, that saved the manager's job. It's hard to believe that a decision of whether to keep or fire a manager would come down to that. One one goal, what, drawing a game versus losing at home against like the bottom team. I don't know. I it don't feels like the decision would be something bigger than that, more thought out well, than it that. It is, no? but it, it, if there's something that when you're making a decision in life, okay, there's there's rash decisions that we all make, right? Then there's decisions that we make where we we take in either by time or volume an amount that ultimately makes us leads us to the decision. And sometimes there's, you know, the the, the straw that bo- broke the camel's back, the the final type of thing, the, the the confirmation that you need. So I don't think I don't think anybody was has ever been fired specifically just for one game, okay? That one game could be the moment that you needed, either from a PR perspective or just to change your mind where you were, maybe, eh, maybe, maybe not, am I going to do this? And then you see that. So you see down 3 nothing to Paderborn, and you say, how is this possible? How is this <laughs> possible that this team that we spent all this money on, that everyone recognizes that much better, is is doing this? And then they come back, and... We've been in situations, I've played in situations where it's such a hollow type of point or a hollow type of, of result because everybody's kind of patting you on the back for having the wherewithal and the ability to recognize a problem and to fix it in that moment, which is an important quality and skill. But I think the overarching thing is why were you in that position in the first place, especially if you're a team like uh, uh, like Dortmund. Now, it's Barcelona, so... They, they would not be the first good team to lose to Barcelona. So I'm not sure that this is that, that straw, unless it's just ridiculously embarrassing, which is potentially a possibility. <laughs> More big games. Juventus hosts Atletico Madrid. Ronaldo, João Felix, it was 2-2 when they met in Madrid on match day one. Uh, Liverpool with uh, revenge on their minds. They host Napoli. They fell 2-0 to Napoli in Italy on match day one. And Chelsea uh, are away to Valencia. They're looking to avenge a uh, defeat at Stamford Bridge back on match day one when Chelsea were a very different team. On Chelsea, you know, we previewed the Man City game last week, and then Chelsea go on to lose that game, and that's nowhere to be found in Alex Dowd's uh, rundown here. But uh, did you watch that game? Yes, I watched that game. Now, to be fair... to be fair, Chelsea I, I, I has nothing, there's, there's no shame in the way that they played. And, and the, I know they lost, but that's a game where you can say, you know what, we played well and we'll, we'll take that. No, absolutely. And, and, and on Pulisic, um, he petered out a little bit in the second half, but I know in the first half, a lot of uh, U.S. fans on Twitter were watching that game and feeling like that was a real moment too because that game was played at an incredibly high level and he did not look out of place at all. He was confident. His teammates were looking for him. Were you excited watching the first half of that game and how well Pulisic was doing? Yeah, I think everybody's excited over the last month of what we have seen from Christian Pulisic and, and what... I, I think the most important thing is, as you mentioned, this ability to to transition and to adapt and adopt to a very, very new culture, and not just culture outside, but the culture on the field and the speed um, at which at which they play that doesn't necessarily exist other places. And it's adapted by everybody. And once you adopt to that new speed, then you understand. And it's it's just, it's mathematics, it's, it's rhythm, it's whatever it ends up being. And so he has found that formula, that English formula right now of how to function at a high level and it was just a matter 
he needed time. He needed some patience to figure to figure it out. So, uh, so it's great. So, which where is this game? Yeah, Alex Dowd did me no favors here because he got the home and away backwards for some of these games. Uh, it's actually in Spain. That's full uh, on uh, NFL, right? That's uh, that's yes. American soccer. But, America, but, but right then there. again, but then again, Barcelona do host Dortmund, Liverpool do host Napoli. So I have to know exactly who's home and away because there's no rhyme or reason to right. how he listed it from game to game. In any event, uh, I do expect Pulisic to start that game. Chelsea yep. away to Valencia. So should be fun. Match day five of the Champions League. Okay, uh, so let me just get a prediction for you. Barcelona, Dortmund? Three or four nil Barcelona. Three or four, really? All right. <laughs> a good old-fashioned is yes. what you're saying. Ooh, yes. hot seat gets hotter. Hot yeah, seat gets yeah. harder. All right, more in the back three. What's next? Next up oh, in the back three. Oh, here we three. go. Here is... we go. <laughs> the Copa Libertadores final. <laughs> Incredible drama in Lima All this right, explain weekend. To, explain to the folks out there who was playing again. So this was uh, Flamengo of Brazil against River Plate of Argentina. Yes. Um, Flamengo were trailing 1-0 late. For the champions late. of South America. For the champions of Club. South America. Okay. They scored two goals late, and they won 2-1. It is their first Libertadores title in 38 years. And then the following day, they clinched the Brazilian League title by virtue of other results. So what a, a weekend, That's huh? a double, right? That, that is incredible. And I will say, the larger point to be made here is it is amazing in football sometimes how a narrative can completely change in the drop of a hat mm-hmm. because Flamengo are a team that had an incredible amount of smoke blown up its ass in the last few weeks. The Brazilian media, frankly, got a little bit carried away. And there's all this talk about this being a South American super club that could actually go toe-to-toe with the top clubs in Europe. There were people predicting this game to be 3 or 4 nil Flamengo. And you're watching it. River Plate had the perfect game plan. Marcelo Gallardo is a terrific coach. One result doesn't change that. If I'm a European club, I would be all over him. And they took Flamengo completely out of their game. They were the better team. They're leading 1-0 the whole way. And you're thinking, wow, the narrative here is that Flamengo were exposed as something of a fraud. They look better than they were because of the putrid level of Brazilian domestic football right now. And when they moved up in class, they got exposed. And likewise, Gabigol was having an absolute shocker. If you're somebody who doesn't follow South American football, you remember what a disaster it was at Inter. You've read all this stuff about how great he's been this year. You look at the numbers, my God, and you think, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this new and improved Gabigol. 89 minutes in, you would have been, what are people talking about? This guy is garbage. And then what <laughs> happens? He scores two goals in the closing minutes. Flamengo are champions. Gabigol is the hero. The narrative changes like that. Is that not one of the most smash, amazing things about this smash sport? Smash and grab. Smash and grab. <laughs> that's all that's anybody's going to remember. And you're, you're absolutely right. They had no business winning this game. No business. They were under pressure from the moment the whistle blew. And, you know, this one of these soccer god type of things where they say i'm gonna reach down and give you an opportunity and it also shows from a individual perspective and we say this all the time that a a goal scorer can suck for 89 minutes <laughs> and then just show up score a goal or in this case score two goals and and you're the king and those other 89 minutes of complete crap are just completely disregarded and forgotten about. But such is such is the game. I will say uh, this is probably an unpopular opinion these Good. days, but I'd definitely say uh, it. I don't rate uh, Gabigol that highly as a player. He reminds me of like a, a football or basketball player that puts up big numbers in college, but you wonder if it's going to translate to the quote unquote. Uh, next level. I thought this this match this weekend was a bit of a microcosm of his whole year. 
uh, like you said, like you mentioned, there's definitely a virtue in being quiet the whole game and being at the right place at sure. the right moment to get that goal. And, and his numbers are amazing. But I've watched Flamengo play at least 30 times this year, and his talent just doesn't wow me. I, I don't see a player that's ever going to be a massive impact guy for the national team or a top European club. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But that's still my sense on Gabigol. And we'll see where he ends up. Is it going to be with Flamengo? Is he going to go to Europe? There's still the Matt Doyle's out there banging the drum for MLS. So we'll see. Do, do you think, and back to this potential super club, South American super club, and let's do this dance that we always do. So where would they finish in an EPL type of situation if they were playing over there or let this, uh, or, or, or La Liga? I think... How good are they? You know, top half of the table, okay. but I wouldn't go much higher than that. It's, it's interesting to me. Flamengo are a really good sort of case of what the formula is in South America right now because South American teams, they develop players more to sell them and to fund their purchases for the rest of the team. So Flamengo, for example, in the last couple of years, they sold Vinicius Jr. to Real Madrid and Lucas Paqueta to AC Milan for a combined 80 million euros. And that's what's funded their purchase of the Gabi goals of the world who they, they got back, who you know came back from right. Europe, spent a season on loan at Santos, then, then on loan at Flamengo, and now they're going to look to potentially buy him permanently. They also have this 17-year-old kid, Hainier, who played very small role this season, but is a major talent. So they're already potentially going to sell him in January for like 50 million euros, and that's going to fund their other moves. So you're not developing these 17, 18-year-old starlets to actually get on the field and help you win. Right. Those are the guys you develop to sell, and then you turn around, that money is where you get the guy who's either that veteran guy that's coming back from Europe or even a younger guy that, for whatever reason, struggled in Europe, but, but it still has sort of a, a, a big market in South America, and you can lure him back and oh, making big moves within South America, but maybe that's the buying players. for 90% of the leagues in the world. Though. Yeah, no, but it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you sort of tune into the South American games thinking you're going to see the stars of tomorrow, and that's not really it because those guys are being developed to be sold right away at the age of 17 or 18, and then they fund your right. purchases of, of guys that more realistically are going to be in South America. America, and, and you can build the strongest team possible that way. So it, it's interesting. Flamengo are an interesting test case of that. And I will say, I, I know there are arguments both ways. It's debatable. I like the neutral venue one-off uh, final. And to me, this is a success. This felt like a big spectacle, which is what they were going for. So I was very happy with that. And Flamengo now move on to contest the Club World Ooh, Cup, yeah. which we have on Fox. We're going to televise those games. Yep. Uh, I don't want to step on that too much because I'm going to do a Mossy Mix a case on that in the next couple of weeks. But they could potentially face Liverpool if both teams advance in the semis. It'd be interesting to see what that, that looks see. like. That yeah, would that, give us a sense of where Flamengo stack up. So uh, we'll talk about that more in the All next right. couple of well, weeks. Well, congratulations to Flamengo on uh, the double. How do you say double in, in Portuguese? You guys don't say it? <laughs> say, how do you say double, right? Didn't they win the double? Uh, I don't know. That's not really an expression in Portuguese. And frankly, it rarely happens. Uh, Flamengo are the first team. Uh, Brazil have only had a national championship, as we know it, since 1971. Huh? And they're yeah. the first team in that time to win the national championship and the Libertadores. Now, the, the Brazilian Federation recognizes uh, the Taça Brasil, this this knockout tournament in the 60s, as having been s sort of the equivalent of the Brazilian championship. So they're saying Flamengo are the first team since Santos with Pele in 1963 to accomplish this double. But I really think that's apples and oranges. They're really the first team to do it in, in the traditional sense. So, All right. All right. What, else? what else? What else? All right. And we'll end on this. Okay. Um, this is our last podcast uh, before the Ballon d'Or will be announced. It's a little tricky for us because the Ballon d'Or will be announced Monday in Paris. We tape that day while the ceremony is going on and the podcast doesn't drop until Tuesday. So we can't really uh, 
say much about it next week, but so we can talk about it this week. So Messi and Virgil van Dijk are the two favorites. I think it's going to be one of those two. And you will recall the FIFA awards, they went to Messi instead of van Dijk, which was somewhat controversial. And also FIFA Pro announced their best 11 that day, and it was littered with Barcelona and Real Madrid players, very few Premier League players, which folks in England were furious about. I did a Mossy Makes the Case about it that week, about how you know the Premier League felt like in 2019, they reestablished themselves as the best league. We had an all-English Champions League final, All-English Europa League final, and that was supposed to be a night to revel in that, and they were denied the sort of coronation that they were hoping for, and they were, there were claims that it, this whole thing is biased towards Barcelona and Real Madrid players. Uh, now, I will say, the flip side of that coin is, I don't know if you saw this, but ESPN last week released uh, this list of the top 10 best players in the world at each position, mm-hmm. along with the top 10 managers in the world, and it was sort of, I guess, voted on by their panel of analysts there. And it, this was like the bias the other way, where it was so Premier League biased, it was ridiculous. But it did sort of like show this disconnect right now. There are certain sectors of the media, especially in this country, that think the Premier League is just the end all and be all and on a different level from everybody else. And so they're sort of like, they're, they can't wrap their heads around that that's not reflected more in these awards, that a, a Premier League-based player hasn't won it since Cristiano Ronaldo in 2008. And so it'll be interesting to see this year, if, if, if with this Ballon d'Or, if the Premier League does get sort of the coronation they're pining for, Van Dyke wins it, or if Messi wins it and they're left again to complain about how there's a bias towards Barcelona and Real Madrid players and why isn't the Premier League getting the recognition it deserves. But the the bias is reflected in the fact that it's not all Premier League people that are voting, and even from the outside, whether it's players, coaches, fans, everyone recognizes, and so there's the the counter vote that you're doing. So while people may recognize and may, maybe even admit that, Vir- that Virgil van Dijk should win this and that he was the best player, that that perceived or real, depending on what it is, um, bias and inflation, if you will, of what the Premier League is, is going to trigger some folks to not vote for him simply because they believe it. Whether it's true or not, they're doing that anti-vote, I guess it would be. Right, so stuff like the ESPN list that came out last week, that fosters some resentment towards the Premier League that that causes some people to vote the other way, go out of their way to not. So if, if they came to you, who would you vote for? I would give it to Van Dyke. I said I was. We got this long list. I'm not going to read through the, the the long list, but obviously Van Dyke is going to be there. You have your usual suspects with Messi and Cristiano. Uh, we talked about Robin Lewandowski uh, last week. There's no real short list yet. I mean, it's a list of uh, 30 different people. Um, other than that, I'm not sure who else. Firmino. Uh, is up there. Uh, There's some sentiment for Sadio Mane that if, Mane, you, if yep. you want to give it to a Liverpool player, but you, you don't want to give it to a defender, that Mane is somebody you could give it to. Uh, when it comes to goalkeepers, you got uh, Hugo Lloris, Alisson, Mo Salah's there too. Son from uh, Spurs. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, those are some interesting different players. I think it's going to be Virgil van Dijk, and I have no problem with that, although we talked about Robert Lewandowski and what what he is, and sometimes you talk about bias, or sometimes he doesn't isn't given. I think the um, the the credit that he deserves. Yeah, and, and and to go back to the Premier League thing, I I actually when I did my Mossy makes the case, I defended English people. I thought they had a real gripe there, and I thought that best eleven that FIFA Pro released that week was ridiculous and did not reflect what had gone on in 2019. But I also think the the ESPN list was too far the other way. So the answer is somewhere in the middle. I do think if you're putting together a best eleven right now, it should reflect to some degree that the Premier League is the best league in the world and that we had an All English Champions League final, All English Europa League final. But it doesn't mean it has to be. I mean, my God, the ESPN list every position right. like the top guy was a Premier. 
Premier League player for like four of the top five were Premier League players. And, and this there's... list of 30, it's over 50% are from the Premier League. So there's there's so plenty, uh, yeah I mean there's there is of recognition here in that sense of, yeah. uh, of what they uh, uh, of what they are. When is that? Do we know when that, uh, the, that? the ceremony? Yeah, uh, it is uh, this upcoming Monday, December second, okay. in Paris, our favorite city in the Paris. world. Paris! Oh my goodness! <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Anything um, else, Moss? Well, so. Uh, we'll end on this note uh, because this is Thanksgiving week hmm. and a lot of people on Thursday are going to be going in the backyard and, yeah. and, and playing pickup games or various sports with their family members. Alex Dowd wanted us to have some fun and pick a five aside uh, oh, okay. teams. Now you, so this we, is like a back three and a half. Right. right. Okay. We, you, you, you came up with an all time. I came up with a base on current I did. I'm gonna players. Start, I'm going to have you start this. Okay. So this is a five aside in the backyard. Right, okay. Keep right. in mind. So you you did uh, you you saw the question as current players. Current players, and also when you're picking a five aside, do you include goalkeepers or not? Yes, you do. I do. I, I, I do. Okay. So go ahead. So, so, go late, so late, my later, five so. aside current players would be I would do Oblak in goal, mm -hmm. Van Dyke mm -hmm. in defense, mm -hmm. uh, De Bruyne. Okay. midfield and Messi and Mbappe leading the attack interesting very very interesting all right so here here is mine and I I do have some current players but I also have some all-time players now because of the fact that I am woke okay because of the fact that I think on a plane and uh, have an understanding of not just soccer but life uh, in a way that you don't uh, with your Neanderthal and, and archaic type of ways of thinking about not just life but soccer and everything else in between. I immediately saw this question and recognized that I could have any player that ever played, okay, uh, regardless of club, uh, regardless of nationality, and Mossy, regardless of sex. And therefore, uh, for me, I started off with Hope Solo in goal, okay? I think that in a five-a-side, I would want her there because, as you mentioned, it's kind of a party right there and a picnic, or if you will, or a thing. So I think on and off the field, she would be fun to have, and she's a good goalkeeper. Then I came, uh, Paolo Maldini, you ever heard of him? Yes. Uh, former... Uh, Italian great legend, shall we say. Uh, I also added another American player. And once again, a five-a-side is in a very small area. So just because somebody can do it in a big area, okay, doesn't mean that they're going to make my team. I have another American player who I have often uh, said is a man who played out of time in that had he been born 20, 25 years later, we would look at him in a way uh, that we have never looked at an American player. And that would be Tab Ramos, the new coach of the Houston Dynamo. So I have him running around on my five-a-side. I also have uh, one of your uh, countrymen, a man who needs no introduction, but certainly brings with him plenty of baggage. But once again, it would be wonderful to have it a, uh, at a party and for that five-a-side, and that would be our, uh, your friend Neymar. So he's running around there. And then uh, I also have, uh, have Messi, because as we know, they have an understanding and a recognition. And there might be fireworks on the field. There might be fireworks off the field. So once again, it's Hope Solo, Paolo Maldini, Tab Ramos, Neymar, and Messi. That is my five-a-side backyard team. Uh, that would be quite the Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> well, gathering see, there. I, <laughs> see, I thought about it. I said, look, once we're done playing, win, lose, goals, whatever, stuff like that, then we're coming inside. And then the party's <laughs> beginning, okay? And listen, by the way, with this group of players and with me kind of being – I put myself kind of as the coach on the outside, uh, the party's already started, okay? Whether it's on the field or off the field, the party has already started. So I think a lot of these people in different ways would bring something both to the party on the field and the party uh, party off the field. So give us, give us your five and uh, who you think would be a perfect 
like five-a-side type of thing. And I know, as you mentioned, a lot of people play football and stuff like that. From, from a soccer perspective, uh, there's plenty of people out there that also on this uh, Thanksgiving will be having uh, little uh, five-a-sides or, or bigger uh, games out there as part of their Thanksgiving tradition. There's nothing that says you have to play uh, American football on Thanksgiving. Uh, and so if you're out there playing soccer, uh, that much better. Anything else, Mossy? No, that's it. All right, so there's our three and a half, uh, or our back three and a half there, and uh, we come to the end of yet another uh, podcast. Uh, and at the end of each and every podcast, we do our one big thing. And to kick on from the uh, Thanksgiving uh, motif, if you will, so we, uh, we find ourselves in yet another Thanksgiving, and we find ourselves giving thanks for things that we have. Uh, I want to, first off, thank all the people that work uh, in front, which would be you and behind, uh, which would be Alex and Louise and everybody here at uh, Fox for putting this on week after week after week. It is a labor of love. Yes, it is, it are, it is our job, but it has grown. Um, whether it's grown in terms of the content that we're producing or just the, the, the visuals and the optics, we're, we're growing and we're trying to get it better uh, for, for everybody. And so that brings me to my other thanks, which is for everybody that has uh, tuned in over the last uh, few years as we have put this on and the growing uh, numbers. Um, as I said, it's, it's a real pleasure um, and a privilege to be able to do this. It's a real privilege to be able to work in soccer in 2019, going into 2020, and to be paid uh, to, uh, to be able to do this. Uh, and none of this happens without people, whether it's the Ask Alexi type of questions and the interaction that we have on a social media platform, uh, or whether it's people downloading and subscribing and reviewing, both good and bad. We, we, we encourage the, uh, the opinions and the debate and the discussion uh, that we have. And so I'm incredibly thankful for the, uh, the opportunity that I have, along with all of you guys and everybody that's listening, to be able to do this uh, e each and every week. And I know I started off the pod talking about branding and, and that kind of stuff and what American soccer, uh, what American soccer is. And while we may criticize at different times and we may be skeptical or we may be negative and stuff like that, the reality is that this is La Cosa Nostra, as I say each and every time. It is, it is our thing. It's something that is personal. It's something that is emotional. It's something that, is, that we are passionate about. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we can't argue. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree at different times. And so whether it's a critique or an analysis or a criticism of uh, a new brand or a player and the way that player plays, a coach, a team, all that kind of stuff, it's done, uh, we like to think, uh, and I do believe, where there is a fairness behind what we are doing, where there is a wit behind what we are doing to a certain extent, uh, where there is a humor at time about what we're doing. And ultimately, it, it, it is soccer, but it is just soccer. And they're much more important things. So as you're celebrating this week, if you celebrate uh, Thanksgiving, and if you don't, whatever you're doing, I hope that you're around people that you love. I hope that you are thankful for the life that you have. Uh, and most importantly, uh, the people that you are around and that they give you life and uh, that it is a long, uh, healthy, and happy life. So thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in. We'll be back again uh, next week as we take it on home to the end of 2019 with, uh, with Christmas upon us uh, and the, all of the holidays as we get into uh, December and plenty of soccer and plenty of things to talk about both domestically uh, and internationally. So once again, thank you everyone for tuning in uh, and we will talk again next week. Size the day. 